It's time for Talk of Muskegon on News Talk 1090 
and things where you sit like that, like that, where the camera football lies, and you see what I'm on shots, you know, and other than, and those other sports too, and those in the model has to do with the environment, and, and you know, yeah, yeah, this is where the teams are, and so, um, football will move over to the OP, I think it's Red Division, and whatever, the color is, it's pretty like, and,
Z is available everywhere you want to listen on our free iHeartRadio app. Download it now. Now, back to Talk of Muskegon on News Talk 1090 WKDZ. The Talk of Muskegon. Sports. I think you told me, John, once that uh, 
this being a park city, uh, what happened during that era, and it was significant. Uh, I mean, anyway, I know it's on the fires in my entire school, and then we usually had a school where we're actually on the way to town. I don't know call it a port city, they used to call it a port city all the time, you don't see that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I went to that kind of fire, it's a port city, it's still like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's like a port city, and we're in a little Afghanistan, because we were in the suburbs, we were in the open back. And we were, in fact, in the international shipping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
they clean it up and of course they look beautifully but you actually have a machine, so occasionally you would slip, you'd have fans you'd push down, occasionally you'd slip, and that was when the, when the collective, you know, slipped. And there's another thing, too, like I was talking about with Cliff, he started with records, but, you know, burning down records to record stuff, you had, you know, how many, how many plays did you have to edit and chop and cut for commercials and whatever, I mean, just... To the years now, there's cart machines, of course. You had cart machines and you had to pull all your carts to play the music. And that yeah, well, was a, a master club. It was a deal. Yeah. Well, it was fun. 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 Be theoretically 200 degrees. It would be, of course, not to come back right now. But it would be extremely warm. You can imagine what it was like, and part of the things that Master was probably going to videotape me about is my family history and the Apple Avenue studio WTVV. I'm putting a broadcast sign and what that took in real life to put that on the air and get it to a transmitter site. But what it took for the microphones and somebody trying to tune that in with, them, with a band playing and people announcing and the sound effects and, and all those kinds of things and a live studio audience and how do you keep that so you know, that it's not overwhelming the microphones and feeling. Do you guys agree very well? Principally speaking, that for years and years and years, radio was block programming, BRS and Kim, right? It was all half hour, hour, 15 minute segments, right? A different programming, a big train wreck, if you consider it by programming standards today, uh, in terms of transition. But uh, that became what television is in terms of. And that may have, because of TV, I'm wondering if that would play a role somewhat in forcing radio to go to a more uh, a format style like the music where you play one type of song or a kind of genre. Yeah, I would have to totally agree with you because in the early days of television, really, radio is with a picture. Yeah, microphones in front of them, a lot of more headphones. Wasn't there some fear at the time that TV came on that that was going to have this this uh, significant impact on radio? Thank you. 
and that's, you know, other than the Wall Street Journal and a few exceptional publications, everybody gets it free, basically. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a, a basically an interview with uh, Leonard Harvey, uh, known uh, in the radio world and around the Muskegon area. Steve James mm-hmm. worked at uh, WMUS and started his career. But uh, we, we just want to want to get some uh, information about um, your history of radio in Muskegon. Oh, sure. Uh, and so, uh, when did you get your start in radio? Actually, I was 17 years old. I was still in high school. I had another month to be at Muskegon High. Uh, I started out at WKJR, 1520, I believe it was, AM, and it was a, it was basically attempting a music format. It had been a religious station, but it wanted to be more middle of the road. Tried that for a summer. Um, I get a call from Tim Achterhoff a few months after I'm there, and he says, why don't you come work the night show at MUS? When I resigned from the job, I love it, the guy said, well, it's a good thing you're, you took this other job because they were thinking of firing you. So I said, okay, I dodged that bullet. I go to MUS, I'm there for maybe two, three months, and I get an offer to go to this new station called WQWQ FM Stereo 104.5 with beautiful music, 18 and a half hours a day. Um, I still remember that, I don't know why. And I was there for about three months till one Sunday morning I fell asleep on the air. <laughs> I didn't get fired, nobody caught me, but I, I called Tim the next day. I, I called up Tim Akterhoff and I said, Tim, uh, I fell asleep on the radio. I don't think this is where I need to be working. I'm 18 years old, you gotta give me a job. He said, I was thinking of calling you anyway, I'll go ahead and I'll hire you back. Um, long story short, I, I did that for, you know, I was on the air then at MUS for five years, went into ad sales for seven, uh, was marketing director for a year, was sales manager for a year, and got promoted to run and manage the radio station in Duluth, the classic rock station up there. I was there for about five years, uh, worked for the full service AM in town, KDAL, 96 Light, very successful. Got fired from there because they eliminated my position, laid off, I suppose. Then I built a radio station along with some business partners, two of them. And we had that station in northern Wisconsin, a 50,000 watt FM, for five years. We sold it. And then I went to the newspaper for 10 and a half years, worked uh, for a regional magazine for about a year. And then I went to cable television charter and worked for them until I retired last year. In 2018. Yeah, you, you talked about um, 17 years old and working, going into the radio business. Yeah. But you, somebody at uh, in your high school career, oh. Muskegon High School, a guy by the name of Frank Poling. Yes. You know, I mean, his name keeps coming up. And, and it a lot should. Of people that attended Muskegon High School. And it really should. He was extraordinary. He had actually been a disc jockey in Battle Creek in the 40s and early 50s decided that he wasn't going to make enough of a living doing that for what he wanted to do. So he decided to go to college, got his degree in teaching, convinced Muskegon High School to let him not only teach speech class, 
but to be a radio television teacher. He created a studio in his homeroom, which was room 310 where he taught. He had a studio where he had a board operation in one studio and microphones set at a table in another. So he really created the experience of being able to talk to the student body. What we did is we read the announcements in the morning. Right. We called it MHS Morning News. And uh, he would engineer, we'd be on the microphones, and uh, it would reach the entire student body during homeroom. So in my time, there were over 2,000 students. Oh, yeah. This was a big deal. And, of course, the great part of it was you, you did one of these broadcasts, and they took, what, two to five minutes every morning. And you, next, then that day, you're walking down the hall, and people are calling me Paul Harvey, of course. <laughs> hey, is Paul your uncle? You know, all that, which I loved. Um, so, so it was great, uh, but to, to Frank Poling's credit, what he did in 20 years of teaching before he retired, so he started early 50s, I was his last student that went into broadcasting. During that 20 year period, he had 20 students that had gone into professional broadcasting. Real, real. So he was a guy who had really taken education to a different level. Sure. He, he, we actually ended up with jobs. Now the people that in this list includes, uh, Tim Achterhoff, Harry Brown, who were, you know, legends at MUS, right. um, and, and a guy that I believe was in his class, I would assume he had to be, was Jim Baker, oh, who was Jim. the, yeah, the PTL guy, yeah. uh, because 10 years before I graduated, Jim Baker graduated Muskegon High and grew up in the same neighborhood I did. I didn't know him personally, but it was amazing that, you know, the, the people he had go through there. And there's a list that's a mile long of people that Frank Poling had taught that went into the media business, most of them as radio broadcasters. It would be interesting to find a list of the, and we'll get a list together. We'll try. Yeah. For, for the radio history, but yeah. to, to do that at a high school at that era. Yes. You know, uh, it that was, era, and it had to have been breakthrough. Oh, it had to be. He yeah. was very progressive. And, and I always thought that Frank Poling had a, demonstrated to me he was a good marketing guy. He, he could tell the story of why they should do this. And he was able to show results of what it did in terms of students turning into professional broadcasters. Oh, sure. It's one of the great stories, I think, that doesn't uh, get shared enough. I, I think Frank Poling uh, deserves all kinds of credit. He was an interesting guy because he had been a freelance newspaper reporter yes. at one point in his life. So he had multiple media backgrounds. Interesting. Well, this, this uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, he'll be a name that will be mentioned in the uh, radio history. Yeah, of, I think he should be because he really did have a major influence. There you go. Any crazy stories? I mean, in your time at MUS, oh, I, mean, geez. I mean, five years is, is like a lifetime. Oh, and being on the radio. You know, I mean, to pick out a crazy story is probably asking too much. Crazy stories maybe is, <laughs> is, is the, uh, the best way to do it. But uh, in, in your time on air oh, at, my gosh. at MUS. I, I think about, there's a couple, three that, that jump out. One is, and of course, they're always on the phone. One is, I, I, and this is one we'll never use, actually. So I'll just share it quickly. Uh, I get this lady calls up on Tradio, you know, buy, sell, or trade, Tradio. And she's going along, reading her item that she wants to sell, and she burps. 
<laughs> and of course, this was live on the air. This was not with a five second delay or whatever. So she ends up burping, and I'm a 19 or 20 year old cocky kid, right? A real smart ass, let's be honest. And I go, she, you know, she's reading along, and she burps, and I go, "Get any on ya?" And she, and she goes, "What did you say?" I said, "Nothing, ma'am. What is that phone number they should call?" You know, and and I didn't think any more of it. And then Tony Wright, who was one of the disc jockeys, walks in. Rose opened the control room door behind me and he says, get any on ya. I was listening in my car. I almost drove off the road. I was laughing so hard, you know. So, you know, there you go. Dumb, dumb thing. Um, I, I remember I got a chance to give away a car and that was something new. We'd never given away a car and it wasn't like we were giving away the car forever. It was a car that you would get a free lease for a year. And I remember I had somebody that had called up and eventually, I mean, all the announcers throughout the day had a chance to give it away and I happened to be the guy that actually gave it away. And uh, the lady was thrilled and I, I thought, wow, I gave away a car on the air. I mean, how cool is that, you know? So, and of course then in, in those days, it was fun. We, I was doing nights, you know, I was on the air at night first uh, for a couple of years. And I remember Tim Actorhoff came in one day and he says, hey, when you're done with your air shift, you got to clean out the garbage. You got to take all that teletype print from UPI and AP. You got to put all of that in a bag and you got to throw it out so we can toss it. So I said, well, I'm a disc jockey. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional broadcaster, <laughs> hey? And he goes, well, he said, this is part of your job. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. And I was, you know, like dumping cigarette ashes and, you know, you're doing all this stuff that I didn't smoke, but other people did. And it was like that was, I had to kind of police the place, you know, as far as the, the you know, conditions before I left at midnight. And, you know, and in those days we signed off at midnight. So it was, you know, of course now everybody's 24-7 now, but... Yeah, it was good stuff. We got a lot of fun. The, working with the announcers was a treat. Um, Paul Erickson was such a talent. Uh, he's in Detroit. He's been in Detroit radio for years. Uh, Paul's dad, I believe, was the superintendent, I think, at Mona Shores at one point. Um, Erickson, that would have been the last name. But anyway, Paul was this unique guy. He was like six foot five, had hair down in the middle of his back. He wore cowboy boots. He wore a green fatigue jacket. And, on to, and he was incredibly talented. He could play guitar. He was an artist. He could draw. He was wonderful. He had amazing production. His speaking skills were off the chart. Um, he, just an amazing guy to work with. Just blew me away at how talented he was and did it so naturally. In fact, it was on your show when you did the 50th anniversary. He's the guy who did the song about MUS. Oh, yeah. That was Paul out of Detroit. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's a... Yeah, just a talented guy. But Harry Brown is another guy that jumps out. I mean, Harry Brown is this guy that makes my voice sound like I'm a little girl. He's, he's got a <laughs> set of pipes that are just ridiculous. Uh, he actually got hired away briefly, and he worked at DAI-FM, which was the FM of WLS in Chicago. Worked there three months, decided he didn't like it, and came back. But uh, he was he was that good a talent, and he was his voice was amazing. And Harry went on to community college. 
Yeah, he yeah. ended up being a the instructor right. for computers. Right. Yeah, he's uh, and did fabulously well. He had a great career, and actually, at the very end, I understand he ran the community TV through he community did. college at the end. Uh, and of course, one can never talk about MUS without talking about Tim Actorhoff. I mean, yep. and there's going to be so many stories about Tim. <laughs> I mean, from everybody because. <laughs> Tim has, uh, well, first of all, I, I wouldn't have probably got into the industry, truthfully, and had and enjoyed what I did without Tim Achterhoff's uh, role in it. I mean, I have told him, I said, I give you credit for getting me into this business. I wanted to be in the business since I was 10, but you made all those things happen. And I, and I said, between you and Frank Poling, whom he knew, of course, and, uh, you know, the, everything that came together, it was really Tim that was always a, a tremendous supporter and uh, he's the one that convinced me to go to Duluth to be a manager there and that led to another part of the career so Tim really is a guy that I, I really owe my career to. And we'll be uh, doing another segment with Tim. <laughs> yeah he's he's a uh, he's a just you know he's He's a guy that, that I, I always have admired. I'm a big fan of the guy. He's a terrific announcer. And he'll always say, well, you know, my voice isn't as good as I would have liked it to have been. I said, yeah, but it's distinctive. It's distinctive. I said, your, your voice inflection skills are off the chart. I said, you know how to sell when you, when you record a commercial. Yep, yep. You have great sales skills. And, and he's got an, a work ethic that doesn't end. The man is absolutely the hardest worker. Well, I told a story I mentioned earlier today. Here's a guy who tells me one day I'm, I'm working a weekend air shift at MUS, and he walks in and he says, yep, as of today, I have worked three straight years. I have been in this station every day for the last three years working. And that's how committed and dedicated. It's no reason, it's no surprise that MUS grew as successful as it did. Tim dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, did all the things necessary. He outworked everybody. And I, I think if you, if you look at the, the personalities like a Tim Ackerhoff yep. and the other people, the people that have been involved with broadcasting, they've been involved with the community as well. Oh, yes. And not only just the broadcasting, but then as part of their persona was being involved with nonprofit organizations. And Tim is one of those kind of people, and, and yourself as well. When you're, when you're involved in this industry, Yep. Uh, you tend to be involved with what's going on in the community. Absolutely. Well, you know, and, and you, you, John, have done a great job of giving back. And, and I've, I, I figured that out pretty early, getting into the broadcast business. We're very fortunate. We get to play media. Oh, yeah. This isn't really a job, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, we get paid for it, and that's great, but this is like playtime, and you get paid to do this. And, and I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity all these years. But like you, I figured out pretty early that if you're going to be this fortunate, this, this blessed, you better give back something to the community and participate and support it. It's part of the deal. Sure. Yep. Leonard, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. I got to ask you one question. Did, yeah. did you know John Allen? I did know John, yeah. Talk about John a little bit. Yeah, a couple things I remember about John. Well, first of all, he was a great on-air talent. I remember listening to him when he was rocking in Grand Rapids on ZZM. Um, he was as 
attuned to the sound of a radio station. He would be on the air, and it was hilarious to watch him. He'd, he'd like, get into a break, he's got, or he's running a, a song on the air. He jumps off his chair, runs to the tuning apparatus along the board right there next to the studio, and he'd be fine-tuning it. He had a phenomenal ear for what he wanted to hear on the air. And our radio station, I thought, especially when John was there, sounded as good as anybody in town. I mean, we were powerful, we were strong, we were tuned in, we were exactly what we needed to be. He would tune it, I'm not kidding, five, every five, ten minutes? He was, he was so over the top on it, but it was, it was, it made the radio station sound incredible. And, and those, there's a lot of broadcasters, and I don't think they fully grasp how critical that is that the station sound physically is is really uh, on top of it, and, and John was amazing. Uh, the last time I saw John, uh, he said, well, I see you still have the pipes. And I said, well, thanks, John, I appreciate that. And of course, I had just sold a radio station a few years before that we had built, and he had just built this station that you're running, Oscar, and so, he was like, uh, yeah, this is really cool. Tell me what you thought about all of this. And so he and I shared all kinds of, you know, comparison notes of building a radio station. And of course, he had the engineering side way down more than me. I was more into the sales and the marketing side of it because that's where most of my experience lies in the media business. But uh, yeah, John's great talent. Um, funny story with him, we're at a pool party at the president's house one summer, Bunker Rogoski. And I remember that John took some sort of a, like a, a container top that was, you know, about so big and metal, and he bogs Dan Mason on the head with it. I, I don't know how much he'd been drinking, but uh, Dan was not happy. I just remember thinking, I thought it was hilarious, actually. But uh, anyway. John was, John was smart, he, another guy that worked incredibly hard, a guy that was totally into the industry. Uh, he, was, he was a skilled broadcaster, good talent. He really had a lot of, uh, he had a lot of the package. I mean, you know, it is funny with broadcasters because some go into, um, they go into the media, the marketing side, some go on the on-air side, some go into engineering. Many of us do multiple. You know, and you got somebody like Tim Achterhoff, who was one of those guys that seemed to have his hands and fingers in all of it. He seemed to get how it all worked. But he needed engineers like John Allen to make it go the, the extra, or Mike Majeski, or people of that talent. Yeah, great talent. We're speaking right now to John Van Wyk, the legendary John Van Wyk. John, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, give me a how and when you got started. I know you were general telephone for like like centuries. Yeah, you know, I've got a, a, a different entry into uh, the, the broadcast uh, business a little later in my life. Uh, although it started before I was born, actually, believe it or not. Um, my uncle Raul, Rollin Van Wyk, who uh, was the program manager of WKBZ and the may have been the very first program manager of WKBZ back in the early 1930s. Wow. He was a pharmacist, but he had interned at WOOD Radio in Grand Rapids where he grew up before he went to pharmacy school. My grandfather was a pharmacist. He talked my grandfather into buying a pharmacy here in the Muskegon area, okay. and the station WKBZ was just opening up. 
And so he went there to say, oh, you know, I've got some experience. I love radio. And so my uncle became a program director at WKBZ back in the 1930s. And because of that, my sec another uncle, my uncle Paul Van Wyk, my uncle Paul Van Wyk was an electrical engineer. And, and they hired him to be a broadcast engineer at WKBZ as well. So I grew up with two of my favorite uncles. I have three favorite uncles, but two of my favorite uncles in the broadcast business at WKBZ here in Muskegon. And uh, they literally, I mean, my, my whole life, my, and my uncle uh, Paul only had one, one son, and uh, my, my cousin Dave, uh, who didn't go into the broadcast industry. But my uncle Raul and my Aunt Carol never had any children. And so I was kind of their, their son growing up, and I mean literally growing up around radio. My Uncle Paul worked at Bursma Electric as well as WKBZ, and uh, worked until uh, he retired after some 60 years, literally at WKBZ as, as an engineer. And, um, and my uncle, my uncle Raul, went back and forth a little bit, maybe became a pharmacist in, in the arcade pharmacy uh, in downtown Muskegon that was open until 1971 when the, uh, when the mall was built in downtown Muskegon and that, that store closed. So I had a, a, that history. The second part of that history and entry point was that that family had a band called the Harmony Orchestra. And the Harmony Orchestra was a studio orchestra at the WKBZ Apple Avenue studio. Wow. Which the building is just off the corner of Wood and Apple on Apple Avenue. Yeah. And that was their live studio during the 1930s. That Harmony band had my Aunt Ruth in the band. My Aunt Ruth uh, married an Uncle Frank who was in the railroad business. They moved to Birmingham, Michigan, and the band was in need of a female singer. And so they advertised in the Muskegon Chronicle, Juan ads, we're looking for a female singer for this house band called the Harmony Orchestra at uh, WKBZ. And sure enough, here comes my mother along, who was a Welsh immigrant and got a great soprano voice, and got hired by the Harmony Orchestra. Oh, Fell in love with my dad, and uh, then 10 years later, I was born. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you were pretty much destined, but even in your role working for General Telephone Company, you dealt with lots of media people. Well, and, and I did, uh, because I, I did public relations for the last 23 years. I was mm -hmm. in charge of public relations for the state of Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania when I, when I retired. Um, but one of, one of and, and the entry point, my entry point into the broadcast industry was dealing with the media. Right. I mean, I wore a lot of different hats. I dealt with the print media and the electronic media uh, quite a bit and was, was literally, uh, I call it the good, bad, and the ugly of the phone company. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you were on there good when we were giving money away and doing great things in the community. Uh, the, the, the bad was, uh, hey, we've got a rate increase coming up. And the ugly was storm damage and, and, uh, and, and you know, in those kind of things when employees got hurt. Yeah. You know, so it was a good, bad, and the ugly, and you were always available for the media at that point in time. Right. I mean, I'd give media calls all times of the day, no matter if, especially during storm damage and those kinds of things. So I dealt with the media a lot. Yeah, so you and were was, really heavily yeah, immersed and I, I was, in the media I, I, world. I was a member of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters because of that, okay. and because we sponsored Broadcast Excellence Awards and, and everything like that. Then back in the late 80s, early 90s, a guy by the name of Oscar Osmo, <laughs> behind the camera, uh, joined the JCs in Muskegon. Okay. And then uh, Oscar was doing a morning program on WKBZ out on Pontaluna Road, a studio out there. And we somehow talked Oscar into letting a couple of us come on every Friday morning and talk about the JCs. 
And we did, and Oscar was moving, the, the program uh, went to different restaurants around the Muskegon area as well. And so we'd join uh, Oscar for breakfast on Friday morning and talk about what the JCs were doing in the community. And Oscar was getting ready to move to a different radio station and uh, just happened to call me up one day and said, you know, we, this worked out real well on Fridays with you and Greg Roberts and coming into the studio. And how would you guys like to join me and do a Saturday morning radio program on, on uh, WEFG 97.5? And uh, that uh, we met with uh, the, the station owner, Bob Bolton, and, and uh, Jim Schlichting, who was a program director and sales manager, whatever else hats at Schlichting wore <laughs> at, at that time, sat down and he said, and they actually ran an ad in the Chronicle that we were starting this Saturday morning program and March 2nd, 1992 is uh, when we went on the air and uh, did that for, I don't know, eight or ten years anyway. And uh, we did that Saturday morning program, which a lot of things we did on there we can't really repeat. <laughs> the on-air stuff was somewhat legitimate. <laughs> but we, we had a good time. We, we, we had we cast crew members at that point in time. Uh, Bill Iddings was the uh, arts and entertainment um, editor of the Muskegon Chronicle. And so we had Bill come on to talk about the symphony and talk about different things that were happening in the cultural aspect of Muskegon. And Bill became a regular member of the team. Annette, um, that's the last name. Uh, we call her Bach, but it's, it's a, that's her stage name. Yeah, Annette Bach was her stage name, and Annette was a, a member. She was involved with a, a, a community theater and all those kind of things, so she added a great female voice, and uh, I think she, her name was Kitty Litter, yeah. I think, on the, on the, <laughs> on the radio stupid, broadcast. Stupid news. So there was, and, and Bill Innings was into writing radio theater plays. Okay. And has been actually published many times, and and he writes uh, screenplays and uh, and and uh, and plays. And Bill wrote some uh, radio theater dramas that we did, we produced on that radio station, which would never um, t t pass the test of time today uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, and but we had some great personalities that were on there: Greg Roberts, uh, the G-Man. We we would pull some uh, some interesting. Uh, We'd send G-Man out on scavenger hunts on Saturday mornings and see what he could come back with. Free stuff. Free stuff. We'd come back with a case of uh, oil. Love it. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. It, was, it was somewhat WKRP in Cincinnati style. Um, <laughs> but it was what well, we had to, because it was called Talking Tunes, we had to play, what, four tunes per hour? Something <laughs> that was what Bob Bolton wanted us to do. Call it Talking Tunes, you got to play some tunes. So we played some tunes, but they weren't necessarily always top 40. <laughs> so, so we had we had a lot of, lot of fun uh, doing that. Um, we An interesting story about, you know, when people get fired from uh, radio jobs and those kind of things. Obviously, Howard Stern's got many stories, and, and everybody's got a story about getting fired. Uh, we, we were doing a Saturday morning. Saturday morning program from the uh, the Holiday Inn. You know, we we did that for a number of months uh, from the Holiday Inn, and I'd go, uh, I'd have the equipment with me, and and Greg Roberts would show up. We put the banner up and call back to the studio. Mike Hansen was the uh, the the engineer at that point in time. And this one Saturday morning, set up all the stuff and called and no answer at the studio. That the line we called in on, we're going, you know, something wrong. And uh, we, Greg Roberts ran back to the studio, and the studio was locked up. Nobody was there. And we're going, what's going on? And, and so I 
finally got a hold of uh, Jim Schlichting and I said, what, what's going on, Jim? Is Mike all right? Um, everything going on? He said, well, you guys got canceled. And, <laughs> and did somebody tell you that you guys got canceled? And we went, no. I, I still have that banner, by the way. From that. <laughs> I never heard that story. <laughs> we were done. I was just, so, so somebody had bought, purchased the radio station. Okay. And they were going to turn that station into a religious format. And they said, you get those, that, those guys on Saturday morning just don't fit. They're done. Uh, and they forgot to pass the word on to uh, us that we're doing the show. You were off the air. And didn't so we were off the air. Fortunately <laughs> enough, at that point in time, uh, Brian Worsham had, had joined the, the, the regular crew, and Brian Worsham had a good relationship going with Mark Dixon at WMUS. And so and they, so immediately MUS and everybody knew that we were out of a job. Right. And so we got a call from Mark Dixon saying, hey, we've got this little closet uh, out at uh, our studio. Oh, it's over here in the, oh, in yeah. the corner. We've got this little closet out here that we have, we're operating in uh, WMUS AM out of, you know, 1090 WMUS AM. And uh, how would you guys like to do a Friday afternoon program? And we're going, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. So we started out doing two hours, ended up doing three hours on Friday afternoons, and uh, did that for probably 10 years. Uh, during that period of time, WMUS uh, was, it was a clear channel on the, the stations at that point in time. The call letters WKBZ became available mm -hmm. after Grand Valley, who had purchased uh, that that, um, that that frequency 8:50 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they 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 abandoned the call letters. They were still broadcasting and using 8:50 as a WGVU. AM simulcasting their FM station, mm -hmm. and so Clear Channel bought the uh, the call letters, okay. or got the call letters. I don't know how you do that with the FCC, and so they decided to change the call letter station from WMUS AM to WKBZ, and WKBZ having a huge legacy yep. in the Muskegon area, it was kind of a natural and calling it news talk because uh, for the very long period of time WKBZ was the news station in, of record in Muskegon because they did have the news reporters and everything else. So it just kind of made a natural thing. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it because my family legacy is yes. WKBZ. Yeah. And so I've had, I've had a ball. Full circle. It. Full circle doing it. Uh, I, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously my Uncle Raul and Uncle Paul were very influential yeah. in me wanting to be in the industry my whole life. Yeah. And then and the, the comfort of being in the studio and dealing with the electronic media, uh, I was just kind of my persona and, and doing that. So when it, when it came, when I retired uh, 10 years ago from the, uh, the telephone company, Mark Dixon said, why don't you do a morning program on uh, WKBZ and call it Talk in Muskegon because the, we are the talk of Muskegon. Yeah. And I said that that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> and you felt like you've had fun with it. Oh, we've had we've had a, we've had a great time. Brian Worsham uh, is still doing the program with me. Uh, it continues to to be my uh, my oldest son, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, we've had we've had uh, great crew members in and out uh, over the years, and uh, just the just the the atmosphere of of being in a radio studio. It, yeah. I, if you go back to the house that I grew up in. On Seminole Road, you walk in the front door and there's this cupboard there. It's got double doors on it. And if you go up in there, my sister and I still own the home, and we go up in there, we've told the, anybody that's lived there, you're not to change this one wall in there because I had, uh, with a paintbrush, 
uh, drew on the wall my radio studio when I was a little kid. Oh, I and, love and so, and they had some old equipment in there that kind of looked like I don't know what what it was, but I had it was my radio equipment when I was a little kid. Love that was my it. radio studio. So, so I grew up with it in my blood. And, yeah, you uh, really did. So, so, and and I'm I'm having a ball doing this, and it keeps me. In, in my retirement, keeps me real active with the community. Yeah. Obviously, we want to know everything that's going on in the community and and uh, and the people that I've met. I mean, you guys included in that, and my circle of friends and mm -hmm. and the people and acquaintances in Muskegon. There aren't any better people that are involved in media. Yeah. I can tell you that. That's I mean, they cool. really are. That's cool. Because because they do know what's going on in the community, and yep. they they have all everybody has their own opinions about what should be done in the community. And well, so it's it's a fun it's a fun group of people to be around. And you've talked about giving back to the yep. community. Could you address that? Oh, giving back. You know, I, I guess it was what I was taught when I was growing up, and with uh, with my parents. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad was in uh, the Kiwanis Club growing up, and and they were all active. And my mother is real active in the church and Beta Sigma Phi sorority, and and they were all always giving back to the community. And I, that's the way I was uh, brought up, and especially being brought up in a retail environment mm -hmm. with a drugstore in downtown Muskegon. Uh, my, my dad opened the store at 5.30 in the morning, back in an era where Lakey Foundry, Teledyne Continental Motors, all the big industries were downtown and people rode the buses. Well, that was a bus terminal building where the pharmacy was located. And my dad telling me that every time he turned the key in the morning, he was fearful that nobody would walk through the door. Oh. And they, when they did walk through the door, they were family members. Because yep. they contributed, he kept telling me, everybody coming in the door is contributing to your college scholarship. Yep. You know, they're contributing to the well-being of our family. They are our family, they our extended family. family. Yep. And so you treat them like family. Yep. And that's and, and and but they gave back to the community as well with their time and their dollars uh, to being a part of the community. So it was it was part of who I was when I grew up. That's and, very I, cool. I don't think I had a choice. Yeah, you, it was bred into you from day one. It was. John, address the situation, and we've talked about this, you and I, and I'm sure you have with everybody in media, about what would happen when a local radio station would do have some sort of major telephone-based promotion. <laughs> what, what? Because you worked in PR for Gentile. Well, I, I did, and uh, one of one of the difficult things we had, especially with, with MUS and trade radio, and and a lot of a lot of different contests, cash call, and those kinds of things, it would bottle up the network. I mean, the telephone network is very much like a highway system. Okay. If everybody got on the on the highway system at the same time with their cars, nobody would go anywhere. Yeah. And it's built for maximum amount of usage, and it's all measured and everything else. But when radio stations did contests, switching systems would literally lock up, Jeez. and nobody could call because everybody's lifting their phone up at the same time to get dial tone. And, and the switches back in the electromechanical days of uh, telephone, it would just lock right up. <laughs> wow. And so, so we literally had to come. We had meetings with all of the the, the Fred Tascones of the world, uh, WTRU, and with uh, Tim Actorhoffs, sure. and saying, "Will you guys limit this down? Don't say take. We're going to take the seven hundredth caller." <laughs> you know, take, you know, and we had an agreement. We had a, we didn't have a signed agreement. We had an agreement that they would keep it under twelve. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I didn't know that. Didn't you know that? I oh. didn't realize that oh, was yeah. an actual agreement. Oh, yeah. I mean, because we're going, hey, you know, you guys, we, we will restrict you from doing this. <laughs> because we could. We could have gone to the Public Service Commission and say, hey, these people are, are, yeah, are wrecking our network. The phones and in, in case yeah. of an emergency, if you're the right. thing locks up, yeah. you know, and, and needed to. So we, we would plead our case. And they're going, yeah, but we, you know, people call in and do that. You say, yeah, but only a certain amount can because the switch locks up. Yeah. Especially the North Muskegon 744 exchange, yeah. and people calling into to WMUS would lock up. Oh, so yeah. we had an we had an agreement yeah. uh, back then, is saying we'll keep we'll keep it under twelve. You know, it was a badge of honor <laughs> for those who worked at a radio station to do to know that they actually messed up the phone company. You know that. I, I hate to say that. Speaking of people you've worked with, some of the favorites you've worked with in your over the years in your different capacities. Oh gosh, you know the 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 list goes on and on and on. I mean, uh, I mean uh, the the people in the political sphere that, oh, mean, yeah. that, that we've had uh, Steve Warmington, mayor of the city of oh, Muskegon, yeah. sure. longtime friend. I, I managed his campaign all three times that he ran. Yeah. Did some great things to turn around the city of Muskegon. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we're seeing in the in the decade of the uh, the 2010 decade you know he, uh, there's a lot of things that that um, but again a lot of people that I, I worked with that were regulars on radio programs that I had as well I mean mm -hmm. it, the, the, the people that ran festivals and events and I, I don't want to start naming them up because there's way too many of them uh, over the years of people that I worked with with so the old summer celebration and airfare and oh, and yeah. uh, shoreline spectacular and and bike time and and they're just a, just a ton of people and uh, you know I, there's not very many people I dislike yeah. We have a couple people, and they all work for the Chronicle. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't mention their names because they've long passed. But um, <laughs> crazy stories you can tell. Anything that jumps out, a couple of them that you go, boy. Uh, we could actually tell on the air. I think probably, <laughs> and I don't know whose idea it was, you know, because it, it, back in, in, in a radio studio where you've got the likes of an Oscar Osbo and Greg Roberts and Bill <laughs> Eddings and Brian Worsham, you come up with kind of stupid ideas, and and, and, and one of one of them that we did for a number of years was Spam Fest. Spam Fest. Spam Fest. And and I contacted uh, a gal by the name of Mary Harris at Hormel Foods, and she was in charge of publicity promotions for Spam. And we said we want to do the Spam Fest. So we had a Spam oh, Chili Cookoff. Oh, we had a great. Spam Fest on, on in uh, in Lakeside. During Lake or like Memorial Day, I believe it was, yeah. and we had we we had sculpt spam sculpturing contests, and and Hormel Foods would send us a package every year of giveaway items, right. everything from flip flops to boxer underwear, <laughs> <laughs> and we we would have Elvis impersonators. Yeah. That, that was probably one of the dumber things that we did. And, and <laughs> <laughs> but people literally, even you know, even up in uh, that that happened 25 years ago, and literally people will come up to me today and say, "When are you guys going to do Spam Fest?" <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's probably that, that's that sticks fun. out, and it's that's something really people fun. remembered off the wall, something yeah, unusual. You didn't see that in every market. Final question: sure. Looking, we're talking about the history of radio in Muskegon. Anything? In terms of where you see it all going, where it's been, any observations that you would make, and you kind of you are in such a unique position. You you saw it from a lot of different sides, and I did, and I did, and I think that's I guess maybe preserving 
the, the legacy, not necessarily to see my the name Van Wake up in the lights, yeah. but but to knowing that my Uncle Paul and my Uncle Rao and my mom and dad, they yeah. all were in the radio business, and it's something that was a huge fabric in my life, yeah. and that I grew up with, and yeah. the musical history and, and everything else. And to me, preserving the radio history of Muskegon, knowing what went on with that studio on Apple Avenue, mm-hmm. the kind of personalities that would have gone through there, over the years, yeah. you know, and to preserve that as part of the Muskegon fabric of our community. Sure. Without without radio, what would this community have looked like? Right. Without the the news source, the media, and the music, and and all those kinds of things, and the personalities that were driving that, mm-hmm. both from the broadcast side and the sales side and the engineering side, you know, you you've got a tremendous amount of people that earned their living doing it. Mm-hmm. And we're a fabric of the community. So I, I think it's one of these kind of things that I'm excited, obviously excited about working on this kind of a project. Mm-hmm. But, but being able to pull all of that together and being able for somebody, um, at, you know, the year 2090 to, to go into the Lakeshore Museum Center and say, whoa. Yeah. What is a vacuum tube? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and to, to be able to say, they were present when the Occidental Hotel was demolished. Oh, yeah. They were present when the Seaway opened up, the St. Lawrence Seaway opened up, yeah. and ships started coming into Muskegon, foreign ships coming into the Great Lakes. These events were covered by radio. You bet. You know, I, one of the, the pictures that you, hopefully you'll see in the, in the museum is of the centennial celebration in 1936 at, uh, at the Martinock. And they created this this village, lumbering village, down there for uh, like ten days. Yeah. Big festival celebrating the hundredth anniversary of the county, and right in the middle of it is a WKBZ booth, and they were there broadcasting live from the Centennial, wow. nineteen thirty-six. That is this so is a cool. part of of the fabric of of uh, the Muskegon community, and it continues to be. Yep. And it continues to be mm-hmm. with the active stations, and and hopefully in the future when you're watching this. There'll still be radio. <laughs> yep. yep, I believe. So I mean, that's I mean that's the importance of, of the of the project. Beautiful, beautiful, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is great. Okay. Any questions?